following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. After Murray passed away on Wednesday, it, to be honest, it just didn't quite feel right to plough ahead with our series and judges. Uh, and I, I just felt like it would, it would be more appropriate to kind of speak into the sense of, of grief and hope that many of us feel. I know some of you knew Murray, some of you didn't, and some of you just saw him up the front, and some of you first time here today, you may have no idea who he is. But I think this is an important moment in our church life, and I just sense that it's a good time to reflect on the hope that we have as Christians, uh, not only in, in where Murray is, but the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus, and uh, that future hope that one day we're going to share in that resurrection if we love the Lord so um, we'll take a break from our series. We have been working through this series in Judges, and that's going to be picked up again next week. But for today, I'd like to share from a passage in 1 Corinthians 15, which talks about this, this stunning vision that we have of uh, life with Christ now and life with Christ beyond the grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and most importantly, a passage that, that centers us on Jesus as the source of our hope. So I'm going to read just part of this chapter today, uh, verse 20 through to verse 28, uh, and share some thoughts on it, and, and we'll finish with communion after that. So uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when He comes, those who belong to Him. Then the end will come when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after He has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so God may be all in all. It's a bit hard sometimes, isn't it, to know what to do with death. I don't think Kiwis are particularly good at talking about it. We kind of ignore it as long as we can and talk about it as little as we can, think about it as little as we can until the time comes that we're confronted with it, either in our own lives or the life of someone that we know, and then we have to figure out what we think about death. And a lot of people leave it until that point, until it's a real reality for them or they experience it up close through a friend or family member. They leave it until then to figure out what they think about death and what it means to them. And you can go various ways with this. There's all kinds of views. You can go the, the Richard Dawkins road of atheism. And Dawkins says in his book, The God Delusion, that being dead is just the same as being unborn. There's no existence. There's nothing beyond the grave. It's just the absolute termination point of all existence. Uh, you can go the road of New Age movements, which talk about uh, when, when a person dies, their essence is, is mingled with the essence of all other people who have died, and they kind of become this unified whole, which is God, this divine human reality. Uh, there's reincarnation, the view that death is just a cycle, 
endless cycle of continual rebirth into different forms of life. One of the oldest views on death, which was around at the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, uh, was articulated by Plato, the great Greek philosopher, and he talked very positively about death. He had a really lofty view of death. He saw it as the soul finally being able to escape from the body because Plato had a really negative view of the body, that it was corrupted, that it was evil because it was matter, everything material was evil for Plato. So finally at death, the soul is kind of let out of this prison and it gets to escape and it gets to enter the realm of ideas or essences or, or, or spiritual things. And Paul would have been really familiar with that. He probably would have learned some Greek philosophy, and this was the prevalent view of what death was like at the time Paul's writing. And it's interesting that in total contrast to Plato, in total contrast to all of those views, Paul sets forth here this, this stunning vision of the distinctly Christian view of death, the distinctly Jesus-centered view of death, and it looks so different from all these other views. And it's good for us to reflect on, even though it's a bit of a macabre subject, it's good for us to get a biblical understanding of death so that we can prepare and think well about our own death, so that we can think in healthy ways about people we know who have died, and so that we can support people who are grieving or who are facing imminent death in their lives. So the central reality about death that comes out of this passage is that death is an enemy of God. You might not be used to thinking about it that way, but this is how Paul describes it. Death is an enemy of God. And that's what marks a Christian understanding of death off from every other understanding. Death is not a form of freedom. It's not an endless cycle. It's not the end of existence. It's, it's an enemy of God. And I think it's good for us to appreciate that and sit with that because sometimes I think Christians can talk about death a bit too positively. You know, we see it as a gateway to new life or as just a doorway or just as a window, this transitional thing. It's almost like we think death is, is good. And of course, we know what we mean because on the other side of death for Christians is wonderful. But that doesn't mean death is good. That doesn't mean death is a good thing. Death is an enemy of God. It opposes God's plans and purposes. It opposes God's good creation and His original intention for humanity. Death was never part of the plan was never part of God's good world that he created in the beginning. God created human beings. He placed them in a garden and he put a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of life. And that was the one they were allowed to eat from, the tree of life. And it represented their eternal existence. Adam and Eve were created to live forever. Human bodies were never created to die. It's interesting. Hey? I mean, we, it's, we're so used to death that we just assume that's the reality, but human bodies were never created to die. They were created to continually eat from the tree of life and live forever. That was the deal. And death comes into the biblical story in direct connection with the entrance of sin into the story. Human beings turn away from God. They try to place themselves above God. And as a result, they're cut off from God. Adam and Eve are sent away from the garden and they can no longer access the tree of life. Since then, nobody has been able to access the tree of life. So Adam and Eve experienced this complete kind of death. It's a spiritual death where the relationship between them and God is ruptured, and it's, it's the beginning of physical death. It's the first time when mortality is introduced to human beings. Our years on this earth are shortened. And the way that Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 15 is this succinct little phrase in verse 22. He says, In Adam 
all die. Just four words, in Adam all die. And what he's saying is that Adam is the head of this humanity that we're all a part of. It's like Adam is the head of a team, Team Adam. And, and just simply by virtue of being born, we're all born into Team Adam. He's our representative. He's our ambassador. So we have this solidarity with Adam and with his life and with his actions. So it's his sin sort of becomes our sin. And his death is handed on to us. Passed down and down and down to everybody who is in Adam's team. Every single human being who has ever lived is marked and defined by death because they are on Adam's team. We are all in Adam. We're all identified with him, and he's the father of us all. We didn't choose that. We're just born into it. Might not seem fair. That's just the team we're on because of our humanness. We're in Team Adam. But this was never the way that God intended it to be, that death would be part of that experience. Death's an enemy of God. And that's why when we experience death in our family, when we experience death in our church family or in our, of one of our friends, it feels like the blow of an enemy, doesn't it? Feels like a strike from an enemy. And it is. That's what it is. We don't have to pretend that death's a friend because it's not. It's a thief. Death, death is a thief. It steals away people we love. It robs us of people who are close to us. And it leaves us with a really deep emptiness and a deep sense of loss because death is an enemy. That's why it's okay for us to grieve. We don't just need to put on happy faces. We don't just need to pretend like everything's okay. We don't purely need to focus on the other side of death. We can also feel the full weight of death and be really sad. Because death is an enemy. And we feel that pain. And to me, when I think about all the effects of sin in the world... Cancer stands out as maybe the ultimate symbol of the brokenness in the world where a person's own body turns against them and starts to attack them. Our bodies were never created for that. God created our bodies to run and not grow weary, to walk and not become tired. And cancer takes God's most precious possession, the human body, and turns it on itself. To me, it's a sign of just how broken this world is. And just what an enemy death is and just what heavy casualties that enemy's inflicted on us all. So it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel that. Jesus grieved, didn't he? He wept, came to the tomb of his cousin Lazarus, says Jesus wept. The, the literal word there is that he groaned, just felt this groaning. It's like he felt the full weight of the whole brokenness of the world at that point. And he just groaned under the weight of it. And that's okay. Even though Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still wept. He still grieved. Grieving is okay. It's good. It's healthy. You know, Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, he makes this foolish statement that Christians have no reason to grieve because we believe in life after death. So why why do we bother grieving? He totally misses the point of 1 Corinthians 15. The death is an enemy. That's why we grieve. Because it's an aberration of God's good intention for creation and for humanity. And we feel it. We feel it so strongly. So it's okay to grieve. But the difference is, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And that's the difference. Paul says that in, in his letter to the Thessalonians. Christians should grieve differently than others. We grieve definitely. 
but we grieve differently. We grieve as those who have hope. And this is where Paul goes in 1 Corinthians 15. This is really what he wants to bring out. Because there is one who's come who is a new Adam. We're all on Team Adam. We're born into Team Adam. But now Jesus has come and he's set up a new humanity. He's the head of a new family. He's the head of a new team, Team Jesus. And he invites every one of us to step out of Team Adam and step into Team Jesus and be defined not by Adam's death, but be defined by Jesus' resurrection. Be defined no longer by death, but by life. That invitation is the gospel. That invitation is salvation. It's a transference from Team Adam to Team Jesus, a new representative, new head, Jesus is the pioneer of a new humanity. And it all hinges on this event of his resurrection. This is where, when you talk about death from a Christian point of view, the single most important event to focus on is the resurrection of Jesus. That is what it hinges on. It's interesting because Christians tend to focus a lot on the cross. And that's good. That's that's the source of our salvation. That's atonement. But we're not quite sure sometimes, are we, what to do with the resurrection. It's kind of this bit that comes afterwards. Maybe that was just the proof that Jesus was right, proof that Jesus was God. We kind of downplay it. The resurrection of Jesus, that historical bodily resurrection of Jesus is absolutely critical for our life and our faith and our hope. Because when Jesus was raised from the dead, and notice, by the way, in this passage, that whenever Jesus' resurrection is talked about, it's always in the passive. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. He was raised. Paul's really careful with his language. He was raised from the dead by God the Father. When God raised him from the dead, it demonstrated God's power over the grave and death was defeated. Death is an enemy of God, but through the resurrection of Jesus, death is a defeated enemy because God has conquered it. By raising his son from the dead, God demonstrated his power is greater than the power of the grave. Death could not keep Jesus down. Death could not keep its hold on on him. But God reached down and raised his son to new life and demonstrated that there is a greater power than death at work in the world. And yes, people still died after that. Billions of people still died since Jesus' resurrection. But the point is that when Jesus was raised from the dead, death itself suffered a mortal wound. Death at that point became like a fatally wounded animal that's gone off into the bushes to die. And even though it still lingers, even though it's still around, its days now are numbered because it's been defeated and it's suffered a fatal blow at the cross. And the significance of this for us is that if we are in this team, if we're in Team Jesus, we are identified by the resurrection of the Son of God, and His resurrection guarantees ours. His resurrection is the down payment of our own future resurrection. That's why Paul talks about Jesus as being the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is just a euphemism for those who have died. Jesus is the first fruits. And that's a, that's a, a reference back to the Jewish law, where Jewish farmers would, would have to take the first sheaves of the harvest, first sheaves of barley or whatever they were harvesting, when it was time for harvest, and bring those into the temple, offer those before the Lord through a priest. And only after those first fruits were offered could then the rest of the barley be harvested and then be bought and sold in the marketplace. So Paul is saying Jesus' resurrection is like that first fruits offering. It's a sign 
that the great harvest is coming. It's a sign that there's a great, har- a great resurrection harvest still on its way. And Jesus' resurrection guarantees ours. Because what God did for Jesus on Easter Sunday morning, He promises to do for every single one of us one day. And the guarantee of it is that Jesus raised from the dead. That's why those things are so connected. That's why Paul says earlier in the chapter, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're we're just still dead in our sins. It's not insignificant. It's not just inconsequential. It's we might as well give up and go home because the resurrection of Jesus is the down payment. It's the first installment and it has set in place an irreversible chain of events that will one day lead to God being all in all in the new creation. And this is the final movement of the story. When Jesus returns, then God's enemies are going to be systematically destroyed. God's going to judge the world and sin is going to be destroyed. God's going to judge Satan and Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. All of his demons thrown in with him. God's going to lift the curse of sin that's on the physical creation itself and do away with that, liberating the world to be what it always intended it to be. And then... And only then will God turn around and deal with the last enemy. That's what death is. It's the final enemy. That's how Paul describes it. Once God's dealt with all of his other enemies and destroyed them, then he will defeat his final enemy, death. And the way that he's going to do that is through our resurrection. is by giving us resurrection bodies that cannot die. And so death will be no more. We're going to get these new, perfected bodies. This, see, this is where Paul is so different to Plato. For Plato, the body is a terrible thing. It's a prison. It's corrupted. And, and, and the better we get rid of it, the sooner we get rid of it, the better. For Paul, the body is a good thing. And the vision of Christian hope that we have is always an embodied existence. It's very physical. It's very earthy. We're going to have bodies. The Christian hope is not the immortality of the soul. It's the resurrection of the body. It's going to be the same body that you've got now, but perfected. It's not going to be a brand new, totally different one. It's going to be the same body, but perfected. You're, you're going to be exactly 21. I don't know exactly how old you'll be. But, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be perfected. I think, in fact, the best place to look if you want a glimpse as to what that body might be like, and we don't know much about it, but I would say look at Jesus' own resurrection body. It's really the best guide that we've got. Um, And it's logical to assume that Jesus is the first fruit, so he was raised from the dead. That's what's going to happen to us. We will receive that kind of body. It was very physical. He was still flesh and blood, wasn't he? Still ate food, still had breakfast on the beach with his mates, still walked along the road with the disciples, still talked. But there were some significant differences. He didn't feel pain anymore. Had the nail scars in his hands, but didn't feel pain. He was able to appear and reappear in different places, which he couldn't do before he was raised from the dead. So Jesus has this perfected body, the same body, but new and perfect and fitted for the new creation. We don't know exactly what the new body will be like, and you can let your imagination run wild, but... We know more about what it won't be capable of, and that's dying. Our bodies will not be able to do They won't decay. They will not grow old, and they'll be incapable of death. I met with Murray. Last time I saw him was a day before he died. And 
I sat with him for a while and, and I read out to him the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. And we got to that part where John describes the new creation as being a place where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And he just physically responded when I read out those words. You know, just said, Amen. Like, he was just longing for it. He was just so ready for it and so ready for an end to the pain. And that description of no more death or crying or mourning or pain, it just captured his soul. And he's finally free. He's, he is at an end of his suffering. He's not in pain anymore. But he hasn't yet received his resurrection body. And that's quite important. Not to take anything away from those who have died in the Lord. But Scripture's really clear on this. We're all going to receive our resurrection bodies together one day when Jesus returns. So when you think about Christians you know who have died, you want to picture them being full of peace and full of rest and full of joy, but also full of hope. You might think there's nothing to hope for in heaven, but there is. People who are in heaven right now are still hoping for the resurrection. They're still looking for it. Murray's on the edge of his seat asking Jesus every five minutes, when are you going to return? When are you going to return? I'm ready for the resurrection body. He, you know, there's an anticipation even in heaven because they will be resurrected along with all those who are still living when Christ returns and all at once we're going to receive that incredible resurrected body. So now the spirits of those who love the Lord go to be with him in heaven and one day all at once body and spirit reunited in this glorious resurrection of all those who love Jesus and have looked forward to his coming. We're all going to be resurrected together when Christ returns. And that's the great hope that we have as Christians. The ultimate hope for Christians is not life after death. Because if all we've got is life after death, that assumes that death's still a reality, that we just have something after it. But the greatest hope we have as Christians is that death's going to die is that death itself will be destroyed. It's not that we're going to experience life after death. We're going to experience life without death, without any kind of death at all, resurrected bodies in the new creation, eating freely again from the tree of life, which shows up right there in that picture in Revelation 21 and 22. The tree of life is back, and we get to share in it again. We'll be eternal. God will dwell with us in the new creation so death is an enemy of God. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's a defeated enemy. And because Jesus is coming again, one day it's going to be a destroyed enemy. And death will be no more. I don't know where you're at this morning with all this. Death may be not on your radar at all, and that's okay. These words can still be a real encouragement to you, can't they? Because they spur us on to centering our life around Jesus in the present in view of where we're going. Let that hope stir your heart and align your life again with Jesus in view of that new creation, that new resurrected body that he's going to give you one day. Maybe this morning you need to grieve, and that's okay. You need to be free to do that. This is a safe place to do that and to be real with the pain and the loss that you feel. But maybe today you realize that you're still on Adam's team. And maybe you've never even stepped into that great hope that Jesus offers you. You're still on Team Adam, still defined by Adam's death. And that invitation is open to you today to step out of Adam's team and step into Jesus' family. To do that by embracing the life that Jesus 
offers you in turning your life towards Him, turning away from that self-directed, self-driven life that you've been living and turn your life towards God and embrace the life and the forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. He offers healing to you, not always physical, but the spiritual healing of your heart, the forgiveness of your sin. He offers life. He offers you being part of His family and He offers you that incredible hope of knowing that one day you're going to be resurrected to new life with him. That invitation is there for you. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you. He's died for you. He's been raised from the dead for you. The invitation's yours. Choose life. Let's pray. Father, we just feel like we live in this tension. We live between your resurrection and your future coming. We live with grief and we live with hope. Jesus, we thank you that you have been raised from the dead, that you've become the first fruits of all those who are going to be raised again with you in glory. And I pray that hope would be a great anchor for our souls, that it would pull us forward towards renewed commitment to you in the present. God, times like these just bring our lives into perspective and focus. We see things more clearly. We, just, we see what we're giving our lives to more clearly and what, what our lives are really built upon. I pray, Lord, if you, if you are showing us here today things that are misdirected about our lives, where we're really just building on a false sense of security. God, stir our hearts to center our lives again on Jesus and build our lives again on the solid rock that he is. God, we renew our hearts. We just align our lives again with you, Jesus. We want to know you, the power of your resurrection in our lives. And we thank you for the certainty of that resurrection hope that we have when you come again. Lord, for all those who are grieving today, for those who face death perhaps imminently in their lives or who have experienced death within their family, death of a loved one, we pray, God, that you would comfort them and walk with them through the pain that they're feeling. And even though death casts such a shadow over our lives, we pray that you, Jesus, would be the hope in the midst of it and that they would know your presence deeply and truly. So we thank you, Jesus, that uh, you give us life and hope, not just a vague assurance, but a certain hope that there is resurrection and there is life in you. We thank you that Murray is experiencing rest and peace in life and thank you that those of us who also know you will one day see him again when we're resurrected with you in the new creation. Thank you for that hope in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.